The UK has seen a lot of talk about inclusiveness and the gender pay gap recently. In this podcast, we will be talking to two champions of corporate inclusiveness and discussing changes, big and small, that organizations can make to get the most out of the talents and skills within their firms. Hello, and welcome to this DerivSource podcast. I'm Julie Schiefer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. And I'm Emily Fraser-Voigt, deputy editor here at DerivSource. Diversity is one of those very difficult topics. People generally seem to accept that a mix of ideas and perspectives is a good thing. And yet certain industries, the financial services industry among them, remain very homogenous to say the least. Today we're speaking with Tina Nielsen, co-founder of non-profit Inclusion Nudges and founder of the Move the Elephant initiative. And Veronica Augustsson, CEO of Swedish financial software firm Cinnabar, to try and get to the root of why diversity or inclusiveness can be so difficult to achieve and hopefully to find some actionable steps firms and individuals can take to make positive change in this direction. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. So Tina, you come from a behavioural economics background and have previously worked as Global Head of Inclusion and Diversity for a large multinational firm. Can you tell us a bit about your experiences of trying to improve diversity at a large firm? So this was back in 2013 uh, when I was working internally in a multinational company as the Global Head of Inclusion and Diversity. And I think I'd done the traditional things that everybody in my line of work is doing, you know, presenting a lot of business cases and data, research and, you know, rational arguments for why this is important for the business and for engagement and for, you know, people thriving and, you know, releasing potential and innovating and you name it. But it didn't really work. At most, I would say I achieved that people were saying the right things and generally they meant it and they really wanted to do it. But over and over again, I experienced that people would come to me after different interventions or sessions and they would almost whisper, I'm in. I don't know how to do this in my daily work. And this is when I realized that this is not what's working. So I started looking back through my career and I realized that all the talking wasn't working because like the human brain has two different modes of thinking, two systems. The human mind has a conscious and an unconscious side. Most diversity training tends to appeal to the rational, conscious mind. But according to Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman, the unconscious system actually drives about 90 to 99% of our behaviour and decision making. That's quite incredible when you think about it, that our rational mind is barely in control of our decision-making at all. It kind of makes sense because most people believe strongly that they're neither racist nor sexist, for example, but there are definitely unconscious forces at work that make people gravitate towards people that look or think like themselves, even when they believe themselves to be generally very open-minded. This can obviously have big implications for recruitment, as well as whom to single out for promotion, or even who gets called on in meetings. So, Tina, how did this awareness lead to the founding of your initiative? For me, 
what finally got all the bricks to come together in the puzzle was because I came across a brain analogy by a psychologist named Jonathan Haidt. And he says these two brain systems is, is really in size, kind of like a big, heavy elephant descent, which is the unconscious mind. And then on top of that, there's the little rider, which is the rational mind. And the little rider, by getting the business case and understanding why this is important, can really only, you could say, guide us in the right direction if that destination is meaningful, but it's not actually doing the behavior and we need to appeal to the elephant, that unconscious mind, which is a completely different language uh, and is rarely the spoken language. So when I came across that brain analogy, everything came together for me. And then I made a pledge to myself that from now on, I'm not going to present the business case to the rational mind. I'm only going to really appeal to the elephant and, and design interventions and systems and processes and frame messages in a way that appeals to the elephant so it makes it easy for people to do inclusiveness without relying on willpower and you know abilities and such so i found it at the time a nonprofit organization uh, called move the elephant for inclusiveness and i started spreading and enabling other change makers how to do this and then a couple of years later i stepped out of my corporate role and i took the plunge into being a social entrepreneur and working full-time in this organization. Before we move on, I just want to point our listeners to the movetheelephant.org website, where you can find more information about Tina's work with firms to instigate sustainable changes to foster inclusiveness internally within their organizations. But you can also find more information about her pro bono work and social impact initiatives on this website. We will, of course, include links to this website and also some information on Veronica from Cinnabar in our show notes page. Veronica, you're CEO of Cinnabar, and I've heard you speak at past events about Cinnabar's ethos and how it differs from other companies in the financial services space. Can you tell us a little bit about what inclusiveness means to you and how your company fosters this internally? In general, I think it's something we shouldn't even have to talk about. <laughs> it should be natural. But unfortunately, we actually have to because uh, based on the experiences and your background, you tend to rely on things that you know about and uh, engage with people that seems similar to yourself because it seems safer. But our experience or my experience is that if you mix different kind of people with different backgrounds, with different mindsets, with different culture and so on, you actually get the much better results. So we look very actively on inclusiveness. We talk a lot about it in the company. It started a little bit with that we started to actively recruit people with different backgrounds and different nationalities. So we have over 14 different nationalities, which is not that common in Sweden. So it might be common in other cities, like major cities, but for us it's it's not a natural thing. So you have actually to work actively to get it. But but it's much more than nationalities. So it's diversification, it's also age, gender, everything, just different backgrounds. And I think that if you've ever been in a team that isn't homogeneous and you see the results, you won't go back to a very homogeneous team. Veronica, is there a benefit that you can share with our listeners that's really come from having a diverse team? 
I think it's the creativity. Because uh, if people think in a too similar way, compared to if people think in different ways, I think it, it's much more a catalyst for creativity to think differently about things. Veronica, I know that your firm, you have quite a flat organizational structure where job titles are not very important, for instance. And maybe this lack of traditional hierarchy plays a part in fostering inclusiveness at your firm? What are your thoughts on this? We're very proud of the culture we have and the way we're running the company. Of course, it's not 100% totally flat and you need some structure as well. But but if I compare a little bit to our Swedish office and the the London office, I can see tendencies in London that if people passes the boss and they go to the boss boss, they all of a sudden they think you have escalated something. While in Sweden that wouldn't really happen because you went to the person that could solve your issue. We're not trying to make the London office equal to the Swedish office and vice versa, but we're trying to learn from each other. So we're trying to embrace what would think uh, good things from Sweden to the London, and we try to learn good things from the London colleagues to the Sweden. But we have no ambition that it would ever be, you know, similar or identical. That's great that your firm has such a focus on inclusiveness and prioritizes it in an intentional way. I know that's definitely not the case for all firms, especially the more traditional investment banks, for example. I think there might be people at those firms that want to make their work environments more inclusive, but don't really know how. Say, for example, a head of post-trade operations or any other manager believes wholeheartedly in the benefits of inclusiveness, but feels that they have no power to change the culture at the large multinational firm they're working for. Well, there is always something they can do, even if it seems small. They can make incremental improvements that are within their reach um, and that mitigates their own unconscious biases. For example, many firms already remove names and certainly photos from resumes when screening for potential candidates to avoid anyone making unconscious selections based on gender or race, for example. Or managers can make their meetings formats more inclusive. Meetings are often quite ineffective. The more extroverted people are more likely than others to speak up. But the quieter individuals might actually have very valid ideas. And asking each person to speak in turn also doesn't really work as people end up either tuning out when it's not their turn to speak or just echoing the last person's thoughts rather than saying actually anything radically new. Tina... What are some ways managers can get past these barriers to really get at the creativity and unique talents of each employee? So one way you can make sure that people actually, you know, listen and that you can leverage that diversity that's being shared around the room is that you create a hook in their brain. So you prime them and you say, when your colleagues are speaking, after that, you have to be able to say at least one thing where it correlates with the things you're doing. Because if we are a team, we're working for the same goal. We're working for the same, you know, purpose and tasks. So we should at least make sure that, you know, what we do is, you know, aiming for the same goal. That means we need to be able to tap into each other. So if you create that hook, people will listen differently. Or if you say, as you call it speaking, you have to write down two to three things where it, it has an effect on the work that you're doing. Or things like this. Or you, uh, we know that once, people start speaking, they start influencing the perception of the other people in the group. And if a majority of people in a group agree fast, 
it will influence the rest of the group and they will start conforming to that, which is dangerous. It creates poor decisions. So all of this is happening. So you can also facilitate the meetings by starting out by saying, I want everybody to write down, you know, it could be an argument for, an argument against what was, was just raised, or I want you to write down your inner most critical voice right now, or before we start talking, I want everybody to write down two to three perspectives that you think is really crucial for us to use in the task we're about to start solving. So that you give people the opportunity to write down their perspectives before they start influencing each other, and also that you give them the psychological safety by allowing them to do it anonymously. They don't have to write their name on it. You know, so there are many ways we could facilitate our meetings differently. And literally just by saying little things like, this task requires critical thinking. Just by saying critical thinking, it primes your brain to be more constructive in the way that people challenge each other. Whereas if you say, let's make sure everybody gets along and this is a good, effective meeting, people will go into this harmony kind of state of mind and won't challenge each other. And now you're not getting access to, access to, to the diversity perspective. So this is a way to facilitate your meetings in a more inclusive way. Thanks, Tina. Now, there's a lot of other things that firms can do to boost inclusiveness that you've mentioned in addition to the meetings example. Uh, For instance, displaying pictures of diverse leaders and role models on the walls. And Tina, you suggested that if employees see people that look like them in leadership roles or even just being celebrated for their contributions to the firm, it gives them something to aspire to. So I just wanted to share that with our audience and listeners here as some other suggestions that you can make that Tina had suggested as well. Now, moving on, one fairly controversial topic is diversity hiring quotas. Some people believe this is an effective and necessary way to combat systemic bias, but others find it counterproductive and just another form of discrimination. What are your thoughts on this, Veronica? I think it's a tricky question. Should we have 50-50 male, female, etc.? And my initial reaction is, no, why, why should it be? But on the other hand, I think that having people from different backgrounds, etc., creates more creativity, get the, the group to actually perform better. So if I were a shareholder in a company, I would see a value in that the board and the management and the team had a diversified distribution amongst them. And if there is no other way to open up the eyes and uh, actually try it, maybe we have to go that path. But I think having the discussion around it is very helpful. But, I mean, if you do the gender thing, then you lose out on all the other things with diversity. It's a hard question, and I think it will probably take another generation or so before it's actually totally natural, and we, we don't even have to, you know, mention it. In the same way as one generation back, like my grandparents, it was very unusual that the women was even working. Nowadays, no one questions why women should work, and I hopefully in the next generation, they will look at it as an odd thing to only have females on the board, or only have male on the board. And I think a lot of things have to change, but I'm very hopeful for the next generation. Thank you, Veronica. I think that's an excellent point to end on. 
Thank you both for joining us in this podcast and sharing your insight and expertise with our listeners. Listeners, we hope that you have some inspiration and some practical tips here to help you focus on diversification in either your team or perhaps maybe even adopt some of these practices that we talked about uh, in terms of changing up your meetings to help foster inclusiveness on a more practical and day-to-day level. Thank you for listening. Yes, thanks, Tina and Veronica, and thank you to our audience for listening. You can read accompanying articles to go along with this podcast on derivsource.com. If you have any comments or suggestions on this topic or any other topic you'd like us to cover, please send those to editor at derivsource.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time.